Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder today. I'm joined by Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? I am here. That's that's good to hear. Uh, I'm also joined by Cole Bradley. How are you doing today, Cole? I'm good, Ethan. Uh, hope all is well with you. And Noah Furtado joins us as well. How are you doing today, Noah? I'm chilling, Ethan. I'm good. All right. So we are going to talk about ASU football and its loss at home against Utah, 34-13. ASU is now 1-3 and three on the season, and the path forward does not get any easier as there is number six USC on the horizon. This game was Sean Aguano's coaching debut, head coaching debut, I should say, as the interim head coach. And in many ways, it started off as a disaster from the get-go. Chris, we'll go to you first, but it wasn't quite, per se, the debut of Dreams. No, um, I thought the coaching disparity was pretty obvious. That's not really Sean Aguano's fault. He's been coaching running backs exclusively until the last week, right? And Utah very clearly uh, the longest tenured coach in Kyle Whittingham, Pac-12 champion, uh, extremely well coached, great schemes, discipline, execution. They tend to have older, more mature players. This year in particular on offense, they do. Um, didn't even play Tavion Thomas in the first half, presumably disciplinary reasons. Brent Keithy, their top tight end, gets hurt in the, sec- in the second quarter. None of that even really matters. Uh, they were the dominant team. ASU's offense is um, uh, anemic. Is not even really uh, the right word. It's actually like a flat line of uh, of poor play. You nearly deaf, pretty much. Uh, they had what did they have? Under sixty total yards of offense in the first half. They got uh, one third and four. Everything else was a third and long, but then even on the third and fourth floor, they had a blocking downfield that made it third and 19 or something like that. Um, Their run game was completely inept against Utah's physicality. Emory Jones didn't have a particularly good game. ASU's defense uh, is not going to have much of a chance when the offense is that inept. And um, we're looking at, I I believe – I'll double check this, but I believe it's ASU's first one and three start since 1994, which was uh, Jake Plummer's freshman year as a quarterback. And uh, I, lo- I don't think ASU has been um, one and five to, since 1942. So they're one and three right now, right? Sorry, did I say one and four? I don't know, but they're one and, one and three which hasn't happened, I don't think, since uh, 1994. They haven't been one in five since 1942. They've only been uh, two and five, two and four, pardon me, uh, about a half dozen times since World War II. So we're looking at one of – one. I mean, USC is going to kick ASU's butt probably, right? I mean, I don't – you know, never know what's going to happen until they play the game, but probably ASU is looking at a one in four start. Then they got Washington the following week. Um, this is potentially the worst start in pretty much anyone's lifetime who still is around watching football, or at least anybody who would remember uh, 1942. So, yeah. Cole, what were your thoughts about Sean Aguano's debut and against Utah? 
Yeah, I mean, sort of like what Chris said, it, it was it was it was really bad from the beginning, and I think in every facet of the game, ASU was was dominated uh, defensively. Um, they did a good job, you know, forcing forcing third and long, third and medium at times, but then they couldn't get off the field. Um, players talked about that a lot post game. Um, that that was a big theme. They got you know picked apart. Um, by, you know, Cam Rising, especially with the way, again, we talked about the tight end usage. That was a big factor. Dalton Kincaid was really good, um, you know, two touchdowns. So, and then they just wore him down with the running game. Um, and I, 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 I'd say ASU in general had a better game against the run. Um, but the way Utah uses their run game is obviously it doesn't need to be, you know, it doesn't need to be extremely effective on every play. It's just, it's, it's body blows. I think is what Chris called it last week. Um, it's just sort of wearing you down. And so that's again, what they did It played right into their hands. Um, and then offensively, you know, is, is sort of the same, all the same stuff that's plagued them so far. They were three of 11 on third down um, by the end of this thing, a lot of third and longs. They couldn't run the ball. That was basically um, shut down from, from the start. Um, Emory Jones probably definitely had his worst game of the season so far, two interceptions, um, pretty poor throws. Uh, it just was not a good start, but I will say this. I, I, I think that, um, there was definitely a little bit more of a, a, of a positive energy, I think during the post game from some of the players and from, uh, Aguano, uh, he took a lot more accountability, I think, than Herm Edwards ever, ever did, especially in losses. Um, so that's something I think that you can, you know, especially if you're an ASU fan, you can take that away from it. Um, it wasn't a positive start by any means, but there are certainly some things that, um, you have to acknowledge as differences, good or bad, um, in that Sean Aguano clearly is, is trying to hold himself accountable for as they move forward and try to improve. Yeah, it definitely was a, a different feel after the game, but Noah, what stood out to you about this one? We've been talking about a lot of the same things, uh, loss to loss. The last couple of them, they haven't been able to stay on the field, or actually all of them they haven't been able to stay on the field. They had 61 plays against Oklahoma State. Uh, they've been under 60 these past couple of weeks against Eastern Michigan and now uh, Utah. They, they haven't figured out a way to put themselves in more manageable third downs of the eleven. Uh, official third down situations they had against Utah. Nine of them were third and long in, uh, third and long situations. And Aguano mentioned in his presser Monday that only two of those were converted. Um, and, it, and it all makes sense. They're not putting themselves um, in positions to, to, to succeed. Um, Cole mentioned Emory Jones didn't have uh, the greatest performance. Some of that has to do with just the overall, um, I guess, the overall offense not being able to really get things going earlier um, on earlier downs. And just it's, it's, it's really lethargic right now. I don't know what else to say about it. We've, we've really covered um, every aspect of what this team's weaknesses have been these past several weeks. And, uh, you know, Cole mentioned the positivity. That's, that's a good thing. Um, that's something that Aguano is really trying to, to emphasize and prioritize every time he comes on the stand. Um, but they're going to need a lot of that because they're, they're going into uh, the Coliseum this Saturday uh, against the team, the number six uh, team in the nation. 
not likely to get a win in that one, obviously. Then they come back and they play another, uh, will likely be a ranked team. And, you know, one in five record that they're going to lead a lot of uh, messaging between Iguano and the players to really keep up some sort of uh, optimism to, to keep going, you know, in the following weeks. You said it's a lot of the, the same things week to week when we're talking about kind of negatives in these games, but this was a little bit of a different from difference from the start, I should say. With the Guano's debut, the different entrance, there was talks or captains walked out with the team rather than by themselves. And there was talks throughout the week that they felt better. They felt better in practice. And what did we see? Because from the off, there was Saxon Emery Jones. There was struggles to kind of get past third down problems that they've had. They were third and long. So from the off, it wasn't very good. Is there any sort of something from them that might be worrying Chris in terms of they weren't ready from the off? Well, it's the same team. Like you're not going to change like in a week. They, they are not a well-prepared, developed, um, or hyper-focused or tough team. So uh, they had the flea flicker, right? Oklahoma State got the ASU on a bad flea flicker. Fast forward, Utah, you had base personnel. ASU tried to play a lot of base early on with Connor Soli on the field. He's made mistakes with getting his eyes in the wrong places. Thought there was going to be like a screen, hung out in the flat, tight end walks right by him. They throw the ball over the top to the tight end for a touchdown. Tamarcus Davis also got taken out of the play. He had a deep half responsibility, I think, there in zone coverage. Uh, So you got multiple players not where they're supposed to be. By the way, when they showed the all 22 of that play, um, even though he played well overall for his first start, Isaiah Johnson was not even close to the receiver that he was supposed to be defending. So that could have been a touchdown going on either side of the field, right? And you look at also, you mentioned the sacks from the get-go. You had uh, the second sack was basically they, they didn't overload pressure. ASU to have, coaching should tell ASU if they're overloading, they're going to probably have one of the nose tackles occupy a guard. They're going to swing one of the outside guys around into the middle gap. They did exactly that. ASU didn't trade, didn't trade it off properly. That's coaching. Then Valaday didn't pick up the, the first guy through the hole, which is his job. That's coaching and execution. Right. Um, ASU first and second downs on offense. They're running the ball for two yards a pop. That means they're in second and third and long. Uh, they, they tried to throw a few more sort of shorter hitches and screens and things, but they didn't have much success. I think a big factor of that is that it's not – Glenn Thomas hasn't oriented their offense to that from the get-go. So if you don't orient it to that and then Sean Aguano comes on and takes, takes over and he's like – okay, we're going to do some things differently. We're going to live on different pages of our playbook. You can't just automatically then execute that at a very high level. Um, I think the coaching has been pretty poor by ASU. I think Donnie Henderson, um, there's almost no blitzing. There's, uh, they're playing way too conservatively. It's like a lot of zone, so much zone coverages. They don't mix up the coverages. They don't roll the, the the defenders enough they're not you're not uh there's no there's not enough run blitzing probably 
Um, they don't bring enough pressure. They did. They did better against Utah. The, the it was an embarrassment against Eastern Michigan. Michigan against the run, the backside end, not being able to stay flat down line scrimmage to take away some of those those backside gashing opportunities. The linebackers not fitting it upright, despite it them being fifth and sixth year seniors. You look across and you see Utah. They just execute. You know, they do what they're supposed to do. A lot of people on my social media I saw were just talking about this big talent disparity between ASU and Utah. I don't really see that that much. Like there's some, there's a little bit, but really what it is much more than a talent thing is Utah is a much tougher team. They're a much more physical team. That is basically how you are every, your habits every single day in practice, the mentality that is, that is, that is, sort of pushed by coaching staff and they execute at a very high level, right? If you were to go out and say, okay, we're going to all do some underwear Olympic stuff. Let's see how fast everybody is, how high they jump and they, how, how what they can do in an L cone and a short shuttle and all these measurements. Right. I don't think that they're, I don't think that Utah is better than ASU. Uh, they may be a little bit more physical and bigger, maybe in the trenches a little bit, it's mostly execution, tenacity, toughness, willingness, skill development, those things that have been lacking at ASU in recent years. And the disparity between uh, the two teams was very stark as a result of that. If we, if we did an experiment, if we said, okay, Utah, let's go back in time in a time machine. We're going to give you ASU's players and we're going we're to give ASU Utah's players and we're going to go through a two years and, uh, of an experiment and then we're going to play a game. In two years' time, only one game is going to be played, and the coaches have the opportunity to work for two years with the other team's players. I promise you, Utah would have whipped ASU's butt with ASU's players because that's that's what determines what happens in football when the talent is roughly fairly similar, which it is. And whether it be Coaching, as Chris is saying, or something else, Noah, we'll, we'll go to you for this, but the defensive line and, and defensive pressure in general was once again not there. There's been a struggle to get sacks, and Chris just said they haven't been blitzing as much, but what did you see from the defensive line and just pressure on the quarterback throughout the game? It's it's interesting to watch this uh, how this defensive line has performed, um, and I should say struggled. Uh, these past couple of weeks in particular um, to get pressure on the quarterback throughout the entire preseason. And obviously it's, it, it's taken with a grain of salt, but that unit looked like the strongest um, of all of ASU's position groups day by day, just the way in which they operated uh, under Robert Rodriguez's direction, uh, the kinds of things that they do attention to detail, how, intense they were in certain uh, competition drills um, and just the overall talent, speed, athleticism, especially off the edge from some of their rushers and Trebez Moore, Joe Moore. Um, it, it, it seemed promising, the situation. And, you know, just talking about Utah, there are definitely opportunities for them to have those guys in one-on-one -on -one situations and they weren't able to sort of take advantage. Um, obviously, they're not going to beat the lineman every single time, but they have to be able to, at a certain rate, uh, get pressure on rising if they have that one-on-one -on -one opportunity. Rodriguez was talking about that in his presser today um, about, 
you know, as far as the sacks go, I think they might have like two sacks this entire season through four games, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but he's more focused on the fact that, uh, especially in these past couple of losses, they haven't been able to get to the quarterback, uh, irregardless of sacks, just in terms of getting into the pocket, getting in the face of the quarterback, pressuring them, uh, making them make quicker decisions, things of that nature. They just haven't been able to do that, despite what I sort of mentioned as far as like how this unit was projected to be this season. Um, they they haven't been able to really, I mean, even without the blitzing, one of those one-on-one opportunities, the, the kind of talent that it seems that they have in that group probably should allow for more, uh, for more production, um, you know, in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback. And Cole, on, on the other side of the ball, ASU moved on from Jaden Daniels as he transferred to LSU. Coming in was Emery Jones, and he struggled so far this season in four games. Another struggle against Utah as well. Two interceptions uh, that weren't great throws. What did you see from Emory Jones throughout the game and, and just his struggles? Yeah, and we touched on it a little bit, Ethan, but it, it, as far as as far as just, um, you know, how he operated as a passer, again, I think this was his worst game. I mean, I, there were some forced throws, and, you know, he wasn't aided by the fact that, you know, again, when ASU's playing from behind, as they have for a good chunk of the season already, um, they're kind of forced to throw the ball more than they probably want to. And that's, again, what's what's so dangerous about, about being stagnant in your play calling, especially in the early going, um, is because you're forced off the field. And then, you know, when the other team runs up the score, it's like, well, shoot, what do we do now? Well, we got to throw it. And so Emery, I think, was forced into a lot of situations where he probably, um, you know, he probably ideally shouldn't have been throwing uh, or, you know, again, there were some forced throws. Uh, but the biggest thing, and you know, we, we've, we've talked about it quite a bit as well is, um, just how they've utilized him as a dual threat quarterback overall, which has been, you know, pretty non-existent through the first three, now four weeks. Um, there was signs of, of, you know, maybe things trending in a, in the right direction about, you know, the way, you know, they use them on some, some RPO stuff, uh, some rollouts, um, the occasional zone read. Um, stuff and Aguano said he's going to try and it made it clear that he's going to try and get him involved a little bit more on some stuff like that when things aren't necessarily working in the passing game because when you have a quarterback like Emory Jones who is as dynamic of an athlete as he is you need to be able to use him um, on each of those levels you know to be able to try and maximize his capabilities and to maximize your offensive output and if that means you know, some of the stuff that we, that ASU kind of hinted at in this last game, which worked from time to time, um, then I think that's probably what's best for them moving forward. But I don't really necessarily put it all on Emory. I mean, I think he, again, it was, um, you know, Utah's pass rush was pretty lethal as well. They had four sacks in the first half. Um, there were times where he was holding on to the ball too long, definitely. Um, but overall, I think there's, I think there's less, I, I think there's, a lot more to take away from just the way he was utilized in this game rather than his overall performance. Yeah. Just want to stress my opinion that when you say wouldn't put it all on Emory, I'm going to say mostly this is on ASU's coaches and a, a big, a big part of this that shouldn't be unsaid in this conversation really 
is I asked Ray Anderson at the time of the uh, parting of ways, quote unquote, with Herm Edwards uh, about the uh, how much of kind of what where ASU is at now has to do with the coaching turnover in the, within the last year. And he almost like looked at me like surprised or perplexed. And, and he said, well, nothing, no, it doesn't have anything to do with that because that happened a long time ago. Right. And it seemed like he genuinely like thought that that was true. Maybe, I don't know, but has Glenn Thomas been a very successful offensive coordinator anywhere? No, I don't think he's been a successful offensive coordinator anywhere, right? Dude's in his 40s or whatever. Okay, no offense to him, right? Donnie Henderson, is anybody clamoring to get Donnie Henderson to be their defensive coordinator? No offense to him. He was a good, he's been a good football coach in his career. But ASU's in the situation where Donnie Henderson and Glenn Thomas are their coordinators precisely because of the NCAA investigation and Herm Edwards situation being basically dead man walking, if you will, going into this season, which everybody knew about from the end of last year. And so are we surprised that ASU's players aren't being put in the best position at this point for them to be successful? No. Right. Uh, pretty clearly they should have been doing some different things to get Emory Jones into some pocket moving, some space, give him some levels concepts, some option, you know, types of things, go more heavier on the RPO, which they didn't do or like against Oklahoma state and some of these uh, earlier games. Well, why? I mean, to me, it's like, okay, Glenn Thomas's roots are NFL working with Matt Ryan in Atlanta and seeing kind of what they do, which is run to play action pass super aggressively. Herm Edwards, what's his background, right? NFL, you know, ball control, run, play action pass, defensive run game travel. These guys are not like sitting around with any sort of serious innovation as to what they should be doing with their personnel to be able to compete with Utah's coaching staff. Not even close. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm just seeing things like that. I don't even understand ASU's lack of adjustments um, with the alignments and what they were doing with their gap stuff against uh, Eastern Michigan, the, you know, like you have four NFL, former NFL coaches on your defensive staff and you're getting just totally gashed and you work, it's players you've already worked with for a while with the exception of like Silvera right um they're not getting like you guys are talked about you have w- one game where they've had uh a sack they had two sacks in one game every other game zero sacks right four games a quarter you know whatever they are third of the way into the season and um so of course ray anderson that it's the def- it's the coaching and the disparity of the coaching like how are you watching all these games and you're not seeing oh hey wait a second um we it's herm edwards is not coordinating stuff so how are you not able to understand and see and identify that uh, you're in this predicament precisely because your coaching isn't good enough and that's just not your head coaching that is everything that falls under the purview of your head coaching which is making sure that you have the right coordinators by the way they've had 
totally different types of coordinators. Boom, boom, boom. Likens Hill, Thomas, Thomas, you know, Hill, maybe a little more similar, not understanding how to be able to take advantage of your quarterbacks and use them properly. Jane Daniels and Naomi Jones and um, not figuring out how to be more creative with the run replacements with Emory Jones has like, what did, what did we say? He has like 10 or something yards, rushing yards. And he had 750 rushing yards last season. And we know ASU's passing attack going into the year was the most questionable. Uh, it's receivers, the most questionable. And then followed by that, probably like whether or not they would have protection issues. So maybe in consideration of that quarterback who's a good athlete needs to run the ball more. You need to figure out how you can do that while also protecting him. And then you have Sean Aguano saying, I want more protected quarterback runs. All right. Hey, I mean, there's a reason this is one of the worst coached ASU football teams that I've ever seen in my, in my career. And we, we will go into a couple of positives uh, from this game, but Chris, I, I want to follow up on this because you're I so generous, Ethan. This, this is this is a very important part of this topic of discussion in terms of where the ASU football program is currently. Uh, and you are talking about how it's it's coaching, it's bad, it's it's struggles in that regard. It's Herm Edwards parting ways, it's Ray Anderson, all these different things. But if our subscribers and, and people listening to this podcast right now are listening on and they're wondering, all right, well, it's in a bad spot, but how do they get out of it? Is this something that is going to be a multiple year thing that's kind of a rebuild or could one correct coaching hire from maybe one of the lists that you guys have been putting out in terms of our, our coaching hires and stuff along those lines? Is that something that could change it in a quicker time span or what does it look like? Because fans are probably going to be wondering, especially since we're in a time that college athletics are changing, people are changing, teams are changing conferences. It's a time that you want to be good to make sure that you get to a good conference, but they might be in a time of change. So what is your expectations in terms of, you know, what kind of time span this might look like? Uh, good question. Um, people who are members maybe saw this already, but I, I posted on the double sanctuary, um, which everybody, there's a two months for $1 right now. You can go and sign up on the promo and see it for $1. I talked about ASU's roster. Okay. I'll give you a little bit of tidbits on this, but basically the roster has been completely hollowed out from last year to this year. They had arguably the most, the best talent last year in the PAC 12. Definitely. I would say in the top two or three, they had eight NFL combine invites last uh, from last year's team this year. That's more than any other PAC 12 team. I think it was tied for fifth or something like that nationally. Definitely, definitely tied for six at worst. Um, they had a bunch of guys that had the ability to go play in the NFL. You, you look at this year, they're, at least 10 or 10 ish scholarships under their limit. They have seven or eight former walk-ons who are on scholarship. That's the most I've ever seen four or five of those guys are not in the two deep. Um, then they have two D two transfers. Never seen that before. They have like eight junior college uh, newcomers who had little or no interest from a recruiting standpoint at the power five level. And then they had three freshmen who were pretty lightly recruited as well at that level, if at all. So you're, we're talking about over 25% of a roster that is 10 under where the limit should be of basically guys that nobody really wanted in the conference. And this happened also 
after a record number of transfer departures. And then Herm Edwards saying in the off season, after all of that happened, that it looks like you're going to have to recruit your own players better to keep them in the program. And then he never got a chance to do it again because he lost his job. Well, you didn't know that a year ago. And this is part of the thing is they're behind every, all the time, right? Herm Edwards is like the guy. It's so crazy. This guy was on TV before this, because he tells you all the stuff that you already know at home, sitting in the living room, when you're shouting at your television about what happened on the game, the, the, the stuff that he needed to know was the stuff ahead of it happening. That's how you, that's how you prevent it from happening. Or that's how you know what direction you need to go with your program. So that's not answering any of your question, Ethan. But to get to the answer, what I would say is it's bad. It's not going to be an easy fix whatsoever uh, because of what's happened with the roster right now. Remember, Keon Markham and Keewan Markham, we haven't talked about this, but they're now personal absences from the team. Um, Almost invariably, you're going to see more transfers leave ASU after this, right? And they're not going to be able to recruit effectively when they have an interim coaching situation, don't know who the coach is going to be. Whoever the coach is hired is going to have a very short window of time. Their high school and junior college recruiting is bupkis. It's like the worst it's ever been over a two-year period. So they're going to – now, the good news, because I always – you know, like you're asking about good news, Ethan. The good news is that they that the, the, the ability to add transfers who have played elsewhere successfully is better than it ever has been, Right. So you could get a coach to take this job, and then if that coach is, and his staff do a good job of evaluating talent in the college marketplace who are in the transfer portal that want to move up, right? Well, then you have the ability to actually improve your roster reasonably quickly. Um, but it's going to take a lot. And then the other thing is, as I've been saying, is they've been so poorly developed and coached really in over a two-year period. I think prior to that, it was actually pretty good. Danny Gonzalez, um, you know, p- people hated Rob Likens, but in retrospect, Rob Likens holds up pretty well, right? Charlie Fisher, Rob Likens, you know, Dave Christensen, they seemingly did a pretty good job. Um, so they need to be they need to be not only recruited, but then also developed. Maybe actually they can recruit guys that have just been developed better than, than they have within the ASU's program over the last two or three years. You know, cross your fingers that you go get guys from North Dakota State or wherever they actually get well coached. You know, I don't know. All right. So it's certainly not a great spot to be in, as most of our members and those listening probably already know. But it's good to hear a little bit more in terms of what it looks like, rosters he talked about, and just those sorts of things. But as we said, this game was not a good one by really any means from ASU, but there were a couple positives. One of them, uh, we'll go to Chris last on this in terms of kind of what it means about about the coaches and kind of picking players and, as he said, seeing talent. But Isaiah Johnson had his first start as a Sun Devil and played pretty well. He, Of course, uh, Donnie Henderson talked about how he made a couple mistakes, but in general, he played pretty well throughout the game. Cole, what did you see from Isaiah Johnson? Yeah, I mean, he rose to the occasion. Uh, you, you know, ASU was down, Roe Torrance, Ed Woods, you know, both Markham's missing, uh, you know, bo- a couple of those guys were labeled as game time decisions and, you know, all of them were out. And so, you know, out of the frying pan and into the fire goes Isaiah Johnson and he actually did a pretty solid job. And I think 
you know, especially during the preseason, there was a lot of talk about, um, especially from Aaron Fletcher, defensive backs coach, about like how much he's grown, um, you know, the, the maturity aspect of it. And I think during practices that wasn't necessarily evident. Um, it may still not be, but you could tell that he was he was definitely hung, hungry for a bigger opportunity. And I'd say he rose to the occasion in this game and he did a pretty solid job. He had a big tackle for a loss um, that actually forced Utah off the field and had, uh, forced them to settle for a field goal uh, well within uh, the red zone. I think they were inside the 10, actually. Um, he made a really good play on that. Um, he had a pretty good pass breakup as well. So um, overall, I thought it was a solid game from him and it's something he can build off of. It sounds like he was um, actually featured ahead of Roe Torrance on the um, in practice today. Maybe that was just because Roe is, is fresh off of an injury. He's just coming back, but that's sort of, um, you know, something to, to sort of take away from that. So, yeah, definitely a positive there for ASU and, and especially given um, his ceiling and how talented he is, um, you know, former four star recruit. Um, has been highly touted for, for quite some time now. Um, I think that's, I think that's best case scenario um, for ASU's defense to have a tone setting performance like that um, well before I think a lot of people anticipated him to sort of have that performance. And Noah, he just touched on a little bit of what I was going to ask you, but he was highly touted, as he said, as a recruit, someone who came in, got his chance. He's been telling Don Henderson, he just wants, he wants a chance to play and he'll show them kind of what he's made of. But with that performance, and yes, it's only one performance from the start, but is there anything that you think he could maybe build off of that performance and what his role in the team might look like now in the future? I mean, the guy's talented, obviously. Um, and what happened Saturday was he trusted his instincts, played aggressively, made a lot of mistakes, but amid, like as part of a defense that has a lot of problems, he was still the bright spot. Um, and that sort of that sort of showed through um, one thing, you know, throughout the preseason when we we're, you know, we had more access, uh, we we're going to a lot more practices, seeing a lot more uh, of the practices. It wasn't clear that that Isaiah Johnson, who before camp even started, had talked about sort of the things that he needed to adjust from last year, just little things he said, like you know, coming late to, to team meetings or practices and things of that nature um, that indicated that he could potentially really uh, rise up the depth chart sooner rather than later. Um, if that mentality actually was the case, um, it wasn't necessarily as, as Cole sort of alluded to, it wasn't as evident throughout camp. There was a number of times in which he was late to practices um, and things of that nature. And then as you saw the preseason progress, he, he sort of dropped, he started on second team, he dropped further and further down uh, in terms of the practice reps, the, the amount of reps he was getting with either of the first or second team uh, units. And, and, you know, with everything that's going on now, though, with Keon Markham, you know, being, you know, away from the team with his brother for personal reasons, the injuries to Roe Torrance, Ed Woods, it, it's sort of allowed him to have this opportunity to essentially play. It looked like he was playing like he had nothing to lose and that boded well for him. He still has a lot of work to do. Uh, the things the, some of the little things, again, we're not at practice as much anymore. So it's going to be difficult to really draw uh, how much he's making improvements 
there. But that's, I think, ultimately going to be the bottom line for him if he's going to really uh, take the necessary strides he needs to, to to make good on the kind of potential that he poses as a prospect. Look, I, Isaiah Johnson is better from a talent standpoint than almost anybody they have on the roster. Um, and there are some guys who, if they feel like they're not going to play, they, uh, you know, basically they, they kind of check out mentally. But they know they are going to play, they, die, they get dialed in. And it's sort of a coaching – if you're good at coaching, you should have like almost like a sixth sense for that kind of a thing. It took three of their top four corners in the first three weeks of the season being hurt and out of this game for them to figure that out, that Isaiah Johnson should, was actually – should be out there, I guess, which is kind of weird. The other thing that's kind of not a good indicator is Tamarcus Davis looks worse now than he did like two years ago. And Herm Edwards was a cornerback in the NFL. That's his whole thing, right? Developing corners. Uh, Marvin Lewis, defensive coordinator, NFL level, right? Donnie Henderson, he was their secondary coach last year. Well, how is why is how is Tamarcus Davis worse now than he was two years ago? Six-year senior, dude's a good athlete. He actually played really well in 2020. So that plus the Isaiah Johnson stuff, plus guys not being where they're supposed to be on trick plays and, you know, two big touchdowns and the two biggest games that ASU's played or the two best opponents that ASU's played. Of course, Eastern Michigan probably could have also thrown a trick play for a touchdown had it wanted to, maybe even NAU. But, you know, I just, again, will say that um, – Perhaps this helps Isaiah Johnson kind of get it into gear, but maybe it's also it's an indicator to the ASU's coaches. Oh, hey, look, maybe uh, in a season that's probably not going to be that great anyways, we should let our young, talented guys play and see what they can do, especially in uh, a series or two here or there or garbage time of a game or whatever the case may be, and then get it figured out. Um, he was obviously like the biggest bright spot for the Sun Devils. And speaking of, of young, talented guys, I can't go go past this game. It's a positive, maybe not the biggest positive, of course, Isaiah Johnson was, but we've talked about Elijah Badger before, and he's continuously gotten targets and continuously gotten receptions and seems to kind of be that number one guy. Chris, we'll go to you for this, but Elijah Badger's looked pretty good. What do you kind of take from his first four games? Yeah, he's done better than I expected. You know, it's just I knew from a talent standpoint, he had the ability to be easily their best receiver. I just uh, he hadn't demonstrated it from a getting lined up and doing what he's supposed to do aspect. And he still needs to get better at that. They they need to figure out how to use him properly, right? Like for instance, the Clark Phillips interception. It's like throwing the ball all the way across the field to a wide receiver. Like I think it was Charles Hall. It's like, why, like, why, why, just figure out how to get your, your best players, the ball in their hands quicker, earlier, and with more space, do it right. Like figure that out. I, I just, it's, it's perplexing really to me, but um, yeah. Okay. Like Badger's doing fine. You know, he's uh, developing in the minor leagues. So for that, the SEC teams could go ahead and pick him off. 
in the next year along with Isaiah Johnson and whatever. I mean, I, you know, maybe that's cynical, but uh, the bottom, the bottom line is that they need to be trying to get their best players to be ramping up, ramping up, right? We know they're going to have a losing team this year, almost for sure. They have a long way to go. Iguana's trying to develop character and, and toughness and all these things that they don't have enough of yet. Um, I'm probably rambling a little bit at this point, but the bottom line is that uh, it's pretty embarrassing the product that ASU's put on the field. All right. Well, there's certainly a lot of. I mean, look, I'm rambling less than Bill Walton, and there are people like Bill Walton. So you know, maybe it's not maybe it's not terrible. I mean, I guess if you look at it that way, um, I don't know who's Dave Pash. I guess it'd be I don't know. Well, we could figure that out, but we'd have to figure out who everyone else is. But anyways, Cole and Noah, do you guys have anything you feel like you want to say about Elijah Badger that's maybe more of a positive in terms of how he's played? I mean, he's been he's been really good. I, I I mean, he's obviously been far and away ASU's best patch catcher this year. I think that's definitely a positive takeaway. The one thing that, again, reverting back to negative here, gosh, we're really in the dumps today, um, is uh, <laughs> personal foul. <I'll> be, <laughs> <I'll be lost>. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I you know, ASU hasn't spread the ball around like, you know, I think that a lot of us believe they need to in order to be successful in the passing game. Uh, they, you know, they were really good against NAU in that department. And it's since been pretty much all Badger um, every single game, aside from Geo Sanders' uh, performance against Oklahoma State. Um, but there hasn't been too many other guys who have, you know, gotten the ball outside of that over the last couple of weeks. Um, they started to spread the ball around to the running backs. But I, I think that's, again, that's another reason, another facet of the passing game that has struggled. So, at the expense of um, Badger playing really well, it's been the rest of the receiving core, I think, hasn't really been given the opportunities or they haven't been getting open. And I don't know what it is, but overall, that's a that's a glaring uh, mishap as well. Geo Sanders is actually pretty good. Like when you throw him the football, uh, has he had drops or bad mental miscues or anything like that? He's done a good job. Get the ball more to Geo Sanders, Elijah Badger, Davion Valade, Daniel Ngata, Messiah Swinson. Jalen Conyers had a nice catch uh, on the sideline to extend a drive. A really nice play. Hey, he's pretty talented. Why can't he be? Like, you don't think that if Utah had Jalen Conyers for two years that they wouldn't be getting a lot more out of him? Come on, man. Like, definitely. All right, so – Tried to go for some positives. It didn't quite work out, but it was it was it was a pretty bad game, and there's been a bad product on the field from ASU. But Chris, we talked about it at the beginning. It doesn't get much easier. USC on the horizon, number six team. What injuries do we know of or, or absences? I know we talked about the Markham brothers, but what kind of injuries and absences do we know heading into that one? Well, besides the the bruised in, uh, ego, which is the main injury to ASU right now, um, they have some pretty significant issues along their defensive front. Uh, I was at practice today. Nesta Silvera and Omar Norman Lott didn't practice. That's two of their top four defensive tackles. Uh, they also were without the services of uh, Dylan Hall. Um, and then um, I think there was one other defensive lineman. Oh, yeah. Biamad Miller was also out. So that's 
like three of their top five, probably defensive tackles, which that creates some problems with their second team and their rotational issues. The good news for ASU was that Ro Torrance, Edwards are back practicing. Don't know. If, they're probably not a hundred percent or whatever this week. You kind of need to be a lot more than a hundred percent to go up against USC's passing attack. Uh, when you're, uh, in the defensive backfield, we're going to really actually see Isaiah Johnson's capability uh, in the week ahead. Emory Jones didn't take reps in team period today, but he was throwing in, in the individual. I think it, I think it was probably just like a resting his arm a little bit, maybe. Uh, did learn that Zeke Freeman, who didn't practice last week, I don't believe, um, he had a turf toe injury, and he's unlikely to play again this season as a result of this. Um, he was probably that ASU had eight scholarship wide receivers. He was probably in the bottom three. So he wasn't in their top five guys. So I don't think it really changes a whole lot about what they probably look like. It just makes them a little bit thinner um, there. And um, yeah, is it going to matter against USC this week? You know, having some guys banged up, knocked out, not playing, whatever. Probably not. All right. So a couple injuries, but according to Chris, they probably don't matter at all. But we would like to thank you guys for listening. And if we are going to give a positive, I'll give at least one. If the product is as bad as we are saying it is, the only way you can really go is up. So hopefully there's a little bit better of a product at some point during the season and in the future. But that'll be it for our discussion in this Sun Devil Source Report podcast, as always, thanks for listening along. Make sure to stay tuned to sundevilsource.com and all of the content that we have there right now. Of course, we are in the midst of a head coach kind of carousel at this point. Guano is there as the interim co- head coach right now, but we have continued coaching search profiles that are going up on sundevilsource.com. So if you want kind of in-depth look at some possible candidates for what will look or will likely be an opening at head coach. You can definitely take a look at those. There's also specifics about the ASU football program, whether it be players or how Aguano is coaching the team with his kind of family aspects that he's trying to bring to the program. There will also be 10 takeaways from the Utah game as well from Chris. So I, we probably went over a couple of them in the podcast, but they'll also be a little bit more in depth on some of the negatives that we talked about. Maybe he'll slip a positive in there, but also a USC first look will be on the site as well. And as always, we'll have the premium podcast later on this week. So be on the lookout for that with predictions for the Pac-12 in this weekend. And then also a prediction and look over of ASU's game against USC. But thank you for listening along for this Sun Devil Source Report podcast for Chris Cartman, Noah Furtado, and Cole Bradley. I'm Ethan Ryder. See you guys next time.